0: Welcome to the story behind her success with Candy O'Terry, presented by Boston Women in Media and Entertainment. Sponsored by Tech Help Boston.
1: Have you ever heard the expression, talent cannot be denied? The woman you're about to meet personifies those words. Inspired by the music of Stan Getz and Paul Desmond, she picked up the alto sax at 10 and never looked back. She's 26 now and has played 800 concerts as a band leader in over 30 countries around the world. She's been a soloist with symphony orchestras and big bands. She's been invited to the White House to play for President Obama as part of his inauguration party. And she's also a singer and a songwriter, this year's winner of the prestigious John Lennon Songwriters Award. But it is her energy and her pure joy in doing what she loves, that has always inspired me. Her name is Grace Kelly, and this is her story, and here we are in your house. Are you kidding?
2: Ah, this is so fabulous. <laughs> and
1: I haven't seen you in a few years. How are you? Oh, Give me your my hands, gosh, you sweet so thing you.
2: Good. Thank you for having me, Kenny. This is I've been looking forward to this.
1: What does it feel like to come home?
2: Oh, well, I am a Brookline, Massachusetts bred girl, so every time I'm anywhere near home in this case we're in dover massachusetts where my folks houses. It feels so good. And the memories come rushing back. It it's smells so here. good in
1: here. I know that. I know. And <laughs> Your <there's> mother's always <gasps>
2: cooking, right? Cooking and then fresh air. I mean, I've been living in New York City for the last few years. So literally leaving the city, anything smells <laughs> better than New York City subway.
1: <laughs> I'm looking out the windows. It is the quintessential fall day here in the Boston area. And we're on the banks of the Charles River and the, <sighs> the leaves are turning and you're home and it's good.
2: How lucky are we? Yes. It's some beautiful beautifulness. I'm going to make up that word, beautifulness out there. (laughs) In the world of Grace Kelly, it's beautifulness.
1: (laughs) What do you long to do when you get home?
2: I immediately feel my blood pressure come down. I long to just sit, actually. And (laughs) And do nothing. (laughs) Sounds kind of crazy, but just sit and do nothing and be still and just lay out on the couch because life is very busy and fast paced, especially living in New York. So here it's so quiet you know, our family dog, Asher, is just a <laughs> cuddle, beautiful fluff ball. So, <laughs> laying on the couch with Asher is wonderful.
1: You've got a big concert tomorrow night, a rehearsal today, in Boston at the Berkeley Performance Center. Something about the music of video games. And I see that you made it into the paper today. Video game 8-Bit Archemy.
2: Talk to me yes. about this. So, this is an incredible project. This is a 33-piece jazz orchestra. It's a big band and strings that's playing the greatest hits of video game music. The 8-Bit Big Band is led by a brilliant multi-instrumentalist and arranger, Charlie Rosen, who I've known since my Berkeley days. And since then, he has written the music for the musical Be More Chill. He works on uh, Moulin Rouge, tons of Broadway, NBC, SNL Productions. I was in the band for the TV show Maya and Marty. My Rudolph and Martin Short, and he also was leading the band in that. So we've come together for this really fabulous concert, and I am a special guest. And it's happening, yes, at the Berkeley Performance Center. The Boston Herald highlighted it, and I think the really exciting thing about this project is diving into the whole world of video games and the brilliant music that's with it, and also. In the past our performance has been really electric because the audience, they lose it in excitement because these are games, whether it's you know, Zelda, Tetris, you know, Sonic Hedgehog, that they just love and there's so many great memories tied around. So it's like a, a hooting, hollering type of concert.
1: Your parents have always been such a big part of your career. Yes. And they're producing this event.
2: It's been exciting for everybody. My parents, and I'm the luckiest of the greatest parents actually came to see this project in New York. We played at the Subculture, and that week, the New York Times had written all about Charlie and the 8-Bit Big Band, so we had two sold-out shows. I said to my parents, you need to come see this project. They saw it. They fell in love with the music, the energy, the millennial crowd that was just losing their mind, and they said, we want to produce this concert in Boston. This is the first time this project has come to Boston, so very you, exciting.
1: Your parents have always been a part of this dream haven't they? Yes. Let's go back to life in your house when you were growing up. Was the music
2: always playing? It was, yes. The music, your voice was often playing, listening Why to magic. Why no, i so much? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, it's, it's all so true. Your voice, listening to magic in the morning, in the afternoon, Eric Jackson at night, WGBH. I'd say the music was always playing. The television was never really on. It was the sounds of great jazz, Broadway, classical and beyond. I mean, it was a very mixed bag of great music. You played piano,
1: and we have your beautiful piano right here, then the clarinet in the fourth grade, and then you heard the music of Stan Getz. And what's interesting about this, Grace, is I'm trying to imagine my own daughter sitting, listening to, you know, jazz music at 10, and then making a decision that she wants to play the alto sax. Like, Do you remember, can you go back to that moment when you heard his music and you said, I want to do
2: this? Stan Getz was so ingrained in our household. I can't remember that specific moment, but I will say that his sound on the saxophone was almost like me breathing music. And I would just sing along to his solos. And in my head, in my subconscious, I always thought of the saxophone as this Voice, literally a vocal voice. And I fell in love with his sound. And I, I made a note, you know, somewhere again, deep in my subconscious saying one day I want to play the saxophone.
1: What is it about jazz in particular that intoxicates you? I think that's a good word to use. I think so
2: too. I, it's I like have to you're drunk that. on jazz. Oh my God. What a line. Okay. Using <laughs> I'm, that. I'm giving you using, to you, sister. I'm drunk on jazz. The thing that jazz most innately expresses is improvisation. And as a very young girl, it was apparent to my parents, to my teachers, I just wanted to create, I just wanted to make. I would sit in my room and I would make up stories, I'd dance, I'd sing. I didn't need toys. I mean, I really just set me up with you know a chair and a mirror. A mirror was important because I wanted to see what I was doing.
1: I had a hairbrush for when I was singing, so <laughs> okay. I'm with you.
2: I hear you. Exactly. My second grade teacher actually said to my parents early on, Grace seems like an out-of-the-box type of kid. She's very creative. At that point, I was studying classical piano, and she said, have you ever thought about signing her up for some jazz courses? Because she's really making it up. And in whatever capacity... Jazz is mixed into any other music, whether it's video game music, whether it's pop, whether it's rock. The thing that I do think is the most exciting, the thing I get drunk on jazz the most is being able to improv in the moment. It's a feeling, it's a moment, boom, it's there and then it's gone. And no performance is the same, right? No performance is the same. I lose my mind a little bit if we rehearse too much. I need that element of surprise, of spontaneity, of just The adrenaline of go, go, go in the moment is, I live for it. I love it. Which is why when you get home, you lay down on the couch
1: and do nothing. Yes, (laughs) this is very true. There's a picture of you playing your saxophone in Barnes and Noble. It's one of the (gasps) first times I ever heard about you. You're so little that Mm -hmm. your sax had to sit on a pillow. Do you remember those early days? And were you ever scared in front of a crowd?
2: I remember the early days very well. I was, yes, terrified in front of my first crowd. My saxophone teacher was also my piano teacher back in the day, and he would accompany me on piano. And that gig, the gig, I like how I was calling his gig, was my first performance at Borders Books, is one that he set up and we played three songs I was working on. Yes, I was so small and the saxophone was so heavy that (laughs) my setup for a full year was sitting on my saxophone case, putting the pillow on the ground, resting the sax on the pillow and literally playing seated. And there's also a YouTube video that my dad recorded of my first recital like that. But I have to say the first time I was in front of a crowd, I was terrified. How do I lead this band? How do I say the right things to the audience? But it's through the process of learning that I've gotten better at it. And I will also say there's an adrenaline that runs deep in those moments that I have always loved from being a little girl.
1: And you know, from the time you were a little girl here in Boston, there are people who've always believed in you. One of them is a guy named Fred Taylor. Oh,
2: Fred, he has believed in me so much. He's family to me. I can't even begin to explain how many doors he's opened by introducing me to people by literally calling his friends from the music industry from all these years and saying, you need to listen to this girl I would sit in at Schuller's Jazz Club, which is the club he ran for so many years, and literally there got to perform with David Sanborn, Ann Hampton Calloway, Toots Theoman, Kenny Warner, uh, Steve Tyrell, oh my gosh, on and on and on. Your first CD at 12 years old. Do you ever go back
1: and listen to the genesis of your talent? Uh, (laughs) Or is that something that only your mom and dad would do? (laughs)
2: my mom and dad might do it actually some of my fans do it i haven't done that in a, in a long while but i will say the moments that my like first cd does come up because once in a while spotify will just shuffle play i'm like wow it feels like a lifetime ago <laughs> Let's
1: talk about your experience at Berklee College of Music. What was that like for you? And didn't you start early at Berklee?
2: I did. I started at Berklee at the age of 16, and I was very blessed to get a full scholarship to go there. President Roger Brown said, we really want you to come. And at that point, I was thinking, I want to be there. This is one of the greatest music schools in the world with faculty that is just all-star, Grammy-winning, incredible musicians and artists. So I was able to make my way there to Berkeley at 16. And it it was amazing. What was the greatest lesson Berkeley taught you?
1: Was it more about musicianship or was it about performance? Because really, like you said, these are the best teachers from
2: around the world. Berkeley really taught me that you need to carve your own path and your way in school. Because at one point someone said, this is really up to you. I was a professional music major, which meant I could build my major. I could build my way there at Berklee College of Music. So I was taking singer-songwriter courses, saxophone, drum lessons. I mean, you name it. That institution is really a playground for whatever you want to make of it. There's business courses. There's music. So Berklee really taught me you go out there. And it's important to grow as an artist, take all those classes. Also, the networking within Berkeley College of Music is, is huge. To this day, I'm still meeting Berkeley alums, you know, New York City and Los Angeles and every city. And there's a, a, a... There's some cred in that, isn't there? Yes, deep connection within the Berkeley family.
1: There's your musicianship, and then there is your voice. How did you develop it around playing your saxophone? Were you always singing when you were little? Was the music first? Like, how did it all come to be?
2: My parents told me that I was singing ever since I could talk. And it feels that natural to me. It's like, when I'm talking, I might as well just sing the phrases. It was my first deep connection to music. I remember when I was seven years old, I sat down at the piano. I knew three chords. I just started singing these words. And I didn't know it at the time, but I was beginning to do songwriting. And it was just this very innate way, and it still is, for me to express what I'm feeling inside and to just get it out. I was very blessed to have some fantastic vocal teachers along the way. Joe Lowry, who's, oh, shout out to Joe, just one of my favorite voices and songwriters. She did a lot of touring with Sting. She was my teacher for many, many years when I was in high school and through college and really taught me the anatomy of the voice and how to, you know, the thin folds, the thick folds, the larynx, how to keep your voice healthy, really important things.
1: Songwriting is a discipline. It's also an art. You've written so many songs. And you've said, my music is a mixture of everything I listen to. It sits in my brain, it stews, and then it spits out, gracified. My favorite quote of all time.
2: <laughs> Tell me about this.
1: Oh, I, I want to be
2: around for this. It wouldn't be grace if it didn't spit out. <laughs> that is some, you know, it's like some gusto. Um, I'd say that quote is, is very much, yeah, my idea behind making my music about songwriting When I am in the state of writing a song, I'm not thinking about it. It comes out. It's a feeling. But like you're saying, songwriting is also a craft. Being trained in jazz has been fabulous because this is getting a little bit um, technical, but A, A, B, A form or verse, verse, you know, chorus, chorus. These things are the template that we learn within songwriting. And, And jazz music has some of the most complicated forms. But I've been able to take the information that I've learned from my jazz studies and then be able to translate it into what does this mean for writing a pop song? What does this mean for writing a country song, a singer-songwriter song? How can I express my words, my feelings, my voice? Most importantly, how can I write for my own voice in the songs? And that's been a great process for me. Your latest single is called Feels Like Home, and it won
1: the country category for the John Lennon Songwriting Award. We were hoping that you would tell us the story behind the song.
0: Please support our sponsors. They make this show possible. These days, more and more people are working from home. When your computer breaks down, you lose business. This is Dave Elmation, president of TechHelpBoston.com. Our tech experts will come to your home or office to fix your computer. Same day, next day, and weekends too. More than 30,000 families and businesses have trusted us since 2000. You can trust TechHelpBoston to keep your computer and systems running right. Call 781-484-1265 or visit TechHelpBoston.com. That's TechHelpBoston.com.
2: This is a very personal story. I wrote this song basically a few weeks into meeting my now lovely boyfriend. I had just come back from a European tour. I was excited to meet this guy. We'd been exchanging some texts and some emails and he just seemed so bright and amazing. But, you know, I was keeping my expectations to minimal And we met up in the East Village. I was actually on time, which never really happens. And we (laughs) basically walked into each other. We were meeting at this cute place. I think it was called Grape and Vines. And I just remember like walking towards him and my heart just started beating. I was sweating all of a sudden. I'm like, what is going on? I haven't felt this in so long. I mean, I've been on some dates here and there, but I certainly haven't felt this feeling in a while. So I'm trying to calm myself, you know, and I'm like, gosh, he's really cute too. <laughs> and so we walk into this restaurant, we start talking and I'm like, oh my God. And he's just so brilliant and bright and amazing. And words are flowing and, and suddenly it's 11 o'clock. And then we decide, okay, let's go to the bar next door. You know, now it's midnight. And over those next few weeks, we decided to go out on these magical dates and be New York City tourists and do things that both of us had never done, even though we've both been living in New York for a while. So we took the Staten Island Ferry for the first time. We walked the Brooklyn Bridge for the first time. I could tell you all the New York City jazz clubs and Broadway places, but I had never walked the Brooklyn Bridge. (laughs) I'd never (laughs) taken the Staten Island Fair. Highly recommended for all your listeners out there. And then we also went to tons of parks and coffee shops. It's a very magical time when you first get to know someone. We're talking about our friends, our family, our dreams of the future, what's built our stories, our principles, our ideas, what's circulating in the mind. I just was in this complete love days falling in love with him. I was home in my apartment one day and I was just basking in that feeling, you know, just being so in love. And I wrote down the phrase feels like home because looking into his eyes and every time I was with him, I felt this sense of security and love and just all the happy feelings. As a touring artist, this is a very interesting concept to me because often my suitcases are packed and there is no home. I'm on the road for weeks and weeks and I'm in in a hotel that looks the same as the one before and everything's upside down and the schedule is like get up at 6am and go to bed, you know, 1am, it's just crazy. Suddenly I was with this person who just made me feel so at peace, so at home. I wrote this song in my pajamas with sheets of paper all scattered around and my guitar and uh, I have those early voice memos. I, I think I wrote it in about an hour and then did a little finessing. I don't know, I like to say the song just wrote itself.
1: It's a little slice of Grace Kelly falling in love.
2: Yes, yes.
1: Feels like home.
3: Suddenly I'm falling a thousand stories high. It's amazing and it's crazy and I'm strangely satisfied. You grab my hand and the color in my world comes alive. But I never planned to fall. Watch the hours from the sunlight run away. Talking of dreams, shattered memories, and family holidays. You were a stranger than a lover. Now, something more I cannot say. Maybe this time it could be. Like sunshine, turn me off so bright, oh, you feel. Do
1: oh, you feel like home. playing at the White House? Were you able to be full on grace or did you have to be a little bit more proper? <laughs> I want to know.
2: I was a little more proper and nervous. I was full of nerves. I don't know how proper I could be because I was internally freaking out.
1: (laughs) I had a feeling. That's why I wanted to ask that question. (laughs) The days of being signed to a record label and having their people do your publicity are gone. But the digital age gives artists a worldwide audience and so much freedom. Am I
2: right? So right. I mean, this is such an incredible digital age to be an independent artist and to get wants art and music and stuff out to everybody. It's fabulous. I had started the Grace Kelly pop-up series a few years ago and the gist behind it was basically I wanted to take improvised music, my saxophone, my personality and make sure that it was I'm going to make up another word, palatable. You know, the palate <laughs> could be something that everyone could enjoy. It could be this friendly, fun, exciting thing. So, I had this idea to take my saxophone and go on top of a car, ride the Ferris wheel all <laughs> while playing songs, and there were only like 60-second sure. clips. So, I've done pop-ups now all around the world, including one of my favorites is a gondola ride in Venice, Italy. I think I saw that oh, one. Oh, I okay. just love that one. Crossing Times Square with my buddy Leo P. We're dancing with our saxophones. We had about 30 seconds to cross and <laughs> that went over. Oh my God, that was fun. I did one in Haiti in the water on the beach. I and, saw that uh, too. It's been a really exciting series. I will say the goal behind it was for it to reach a lot of people and people who didn't even necessarily know jazz. And the, and the exciting thing to watch is th- these videos really have spread. They've spread to millions of views To I get comments all around the world, people in Germany and Japan saying like, I love that pop up or, hey, you were just in my hometown. You were just on Lombard Street in San Francisco. People who actually have even caught me on camera and said, I'm a fan of your series. Can we take a selfie? And I'm like, wow, so cool. Yeah.
1: What happens to you when you perform? Because everything I see, you look like you're going a little crazy.
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, there's, there's moments. You're like yeah. in, the, in the moment. Yes. That actually sums it up perfectly. Performance is about being in the moment sometimes it's the thing that connects me most to my emotions. And it's almost like it's therapeutic, you know, because the day is going and sometimes days get crazy and there's, yeah, my head's not in the right place. There's a million things to catch up on. There's emails, there's calls, there's people, there's fans, there's family that just, there's a lot of stuff. But the stage is the place that it's just, it all calms down. It's me with the audience, sharing a message, sharing a story. You know, sometimes when I close my eyes, I'm in this black zone and I open my eyes and I'm like, oh, holy crap, there's people clapping in front of me. I'd say some people have described it as the zone. You know, you're just, wow, everything feels so good and you can't quite remember where you are. I really think it's a sacred place that we get to go.
1: What kinds of things do people say to you when they've been in your audience or when you meet them? What do they say to you about your music, and how does it feel to know that your music is played around the world?
2: Oh my gosh, it's the greatest blessing. I mean, I do this because my music and my art gets to reach the hearts and the listeners and the emotion of my fans, and to hear them express what it means to them means the world to me. I've heard everything from, you don't know how much I needed this concert, literally not being able to explain, but saying, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you to other people saying, you know, I work in the healing children's cancer and this has been a rough week. We've lost a few souls and your music has literally brought me to that better emotional place. One person once told me he listened to my song Trying to figure it out every single day during one of the toughest parts of his life where he was going through just so many hardships. I have had now three people tell me that they've got engaged, slash, their first dance song to their wedding has been Feels Like Home. I found out about two of those people through direct messages on Instagram. And then had them send videos and they said, you don't know how, this is the soundtrack to our love. Oh my God, the list goes on and on and on. Every single time I'm just either crying or giddy or just, I feel incredibly blessed to share these intimate moments with people. They have had a personal connection with my music or to read an email or comment. It means the world to me.
1: What's next for you? Is there something that you still want to do that you haven't done yet?
2: I would love to... um, continue blossoming in my music career and writing and collaborating. I also have dreams to be acting, to have a production company and do stuff within skit writing and one day be on Broadway. I have a lot of dreams. I think the fun part of it is really, it's the journey. It's the process of it. Of course, we have goals and we have destinations, but I I think getting there one step at a time, figuring out what that means. And in this world of being an independent artist in the digital world, there is more possibility and opportunity than ever in my mind to be able to literally reach out through direct message to a fan, through a podcast, through a post. I mean, we are so connected through the internet. There's so many things that we can do. And crafting that navigation is what I find incredibly interesting and fun. And I'm lucky to have so many great people, cheerleaders and mentors and Fans and family are around me, and I'm very grateful for that.
1: Speaking of mentors, what's the best piece of advice you've ever received from a mentor about your career?
2: One of my mentors, a great late alto saxophonist is Frank Morgan, who back in the day played with them all, billy Holiday, Duke Ellington. He said, you are the only grace, and you make this your own. I think it was in the context, I was very nervous, um, I was about to perform with the Boston Pops Orchestra and they were playing one of my original compositions and I had arranged for the whole orchestra and I think I was talking to him about that and he said you know what but there's only one grace and you do it like you and that's all you can do and be and that's fabulous and the other one is you go out there and have a great time have fun sounds very cliche but it's what we do as artists there is just so much work that comes behind it so much hustle it's it's not easy and so really enjoying those moments of having fun, being on stage, welcoming the feelings from all these souls that you're uniting in fans. Like, if it's not fun, if it's not enjoyable, why are we doing it?
1: What do you say to a young artist? Maybe there's a little girl out there somewhere who's 12 years old and there's a piano that she wants to play for the rest of her life, a saxophone she's using you as a role model.
2: What do you say to her? Go express your innate expression through your creative spirit. If that means sitting down and writing a song, do that. Feel the moment. Express yourself. If you feel like getting up and and dancing, do that. Express yourself because the world needs more of you. The world doesn't need another copy of Lisa or Grace or Candy or Joey. The world needs another unique you. you. And, And expression is something that I feel like all of us have inside of us, but I really feel like kids embody this very easily. They can access it to keep that imagination alive, to keep the creativity alive, to be able to step into that is something that I think is very important because if we can express ourselves freely, I feel like as humans, we are mentally also in a much better place. I think that's very healthy.
1: Billboard magazine says that you are making jazz young and that's quite a compliment. And the list of awards that you've received could fall off any table, including most recently the John Lennon Songwriting Award. So at this point in your career, at only 26 years old, what does success mean to you?
2: Success is a constantly shifting idea for me. Sometimes I have very specific goals. It could be a small goal and like, I want to learn the scale and I want to sing this run. Success is also very much a state of mind. It's me defining how do I feel my happiest, how do I feel my most at peace, how do I want to feel. Success means being happy, healthy, blossoming physically and mentally feeling really good.
1: Well for those of us in the Boston area who have been your fans since you were a little girl let me just tell you how proud we are of you. And how wonderful it is to have you come home to us and play at Berkeley again. Thank you so much. Thank you, Candy. Thank you.
0: Thanks for listening to The Story Behind Her Success with Candy O'Terry. This is a series with one goal in mind, to shine the spotlight on women doing great things with their lives. We hope these weekly stories will motivate and inspire you. If you'd like to suggest someone for Candy to interview, she'd love to hear about it. Connect with her anytime on Facebook, Twitter, and her website, CandyOterry.com. That's C A N D Y O T E R R Y.com. You'll find all of these links in the show notes. What's your story?